it's not the best. It's the best known that wins. So if you're, you're amazing at what you do, but nobody knows about you, you've got no business. But if you're the best known, but you're not number one, you're going to win every time. Welcome to XN State. Where's the greatest opportunity in real estate today? That's what I need to know. We'll hear from industry leaders with boots in the ground and skin in the game. Who's winning? How are they winning? Stick around and we'll find out right here on XN State. Welcome back to another episode of XN State. This week, we welcome our second guest from Indianapolis, a broker and investor who is extremely active in his market, both with his own investment projects and with in-state and out-of-state clients looking for opportunities to invest in multifamily projects. Corey Gardner ventured into real estate a few years ago through the purchase of a duplex, a property that he partnered up to purchase and that didn't end too well. He refers to this investment as his tuition, as it may have cost him financially, but it gave him the tools and experience that he needed and the confidence to move forward with his second deal that turned out a lot better. In our interview, we discuss Corey's investment experience, including mistakes made and lessons learned. We talk about what it takes to be a successful broker, a business that relies on attention and volume. And we discuss Corey's daily rituals that involve waking up at 4.30 a.m. every day. Corey is somebody who, when you speak to, you immediately get the sense that he is only getting started and working on building something substantial. You can find him around social media at Corey the Broker. Thanks for tuning in to another week of XN State. This is your host, JCQ, and this is this week's guest, Corey Gardner. Corey, good morning. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. How are you doing? Great, Jorge. Thanks for having me as well. I'm fantastic. Really appreciate you putting this together. Thanks again for inviting me. I'm excited. I'm excited as well. I see you hustling every day on, on Instagram. You're, <laughs> you're working hard, waking up early and making deals and trying to be on the, on the social network. So I'm excited about this opportunity to pick your brain a little bit and to see what you're up to and what your plans are and how you've gotten to where you are. Awesome. I'm looking forward to it, man. Perfect. So why don't we start by hearing a little bit about who you are and how you got into real estate and, and hear about what you're doing now. Yeah. So this kind of dates back to the origin story of real estate for me is back into college. I lived at a, a home and my landlord at the time had built a portfolio of about 20, 21 rental properties with no debt. And he had mentioned to me a couple of times Hey, you know, if there was somebody that I was going to pass off this legacy to, you'd be the kind of person. Mm -hmm. At the time, I didn't really pay much attention to or to pay mind to it. But at some point, something started to click. I was involved with other business ventures and started to think about real estate more and more. And it became this idea that I was attracted to, but I didn't really understand how to get into it. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to how to break into the industry because it was this big, expansive idea. Mm -hmm. But I sat down with my landlord and said, hey, I want you to basically train me how to get into this. And he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to start walking through property like you're going to buy it. And so I remember setting up a walkthrough of this, this retail property that was for sale by owner as if I was going to buy it and walk through it. And that was my first like experience of like how to buy real estate, basically. Nothing really came of that. I didn't buy this house. I didn't do anything with the follow-up. But I started doing small things like that while I was in college. And then I graduated early and I'd secured a job working for an early stage technology company in Chicago, mm -hmm. selling HR software. So I kind of left that real estate thing that I was starting in school behind, moved to Chicago. You know, now I'm in the big city. And 
it was still in the back of my mind though. I had already been researching. I had been listening to the bigger pockets podcast every day for probably a year and a half at this point mm -hmm. and started to realize I need to stop just thinking and start doing. So I did. I found a couple of partners and we got together. We bought a property on the South side of Chicago. It was a four unit. It was an off market wholesale deal that we paid way too much money for. And we fixed it up, rented it out and then ended up selling it. And kind of through that whole process, aside from that first investment being my tuition, mm -hmm. as I say, into real estate, I realized that I want, number one, wanted to continue doing this. I wanted to scale up being an investor. I wanted to go bigger. I wanted to do more. And then I also realized, well, there's, there's an opportunity here for me to actually sell my own real estate, sell my own deals by becoming a licensed agent, by becoming a licensed broker. Mm -hmm. So I did that, became a licensed broker and started to build a book of business focused around other investors buying property because I realized not only could I service myself, but I could also service other investors. And then that just continued to scale up and had some opportunity back in Indianapolis, moved back to Indianapolis, April of 2017, started off in the residential space and then started doing larger commercial multifamily deals. And now that's what I focus on. 85% of the time now is focused on commercial multifamily. So that's really high level. I know I skipped over a lot of uh, little parts there. If you want to dive back into something, more than happy to, but that's the last basically five or six years of my experience in real estate in two minutes. Awesome. No, I, I would love to dive into some of that part. So first of all, to give our audience a little bit of context. So you're right now in Indianapolis, right? Correct. Yep. I live downtown Indianapolis. I live in a neighborhood called Fountain Square. It became popularized a couple of years ago with the HGTV show, uh, Good Bones, now called, or yeah, it was Two Chicks in a Hammer. Now it's called Good Bones. Great neighborhood, close to downtown. I love the city. You'll hear me touting on my social media platform how much I love yeah. Indianapolis and all the great things happening. I so, think that's important. I think it's to important here. to love the city where you're working, especially in real estate. I'm here down, down yeah, here in sure. Houston. And and the more I work here, the more I fall in love with it. And the more that's good for the real estate business. So I want to walk back into that first deal that you mentioned that you call your first tuition. Yeah. You say you, it was a wholesale off-market deal. So you had yeah. uh, people approach, wholesalers approach you that did, a, am sure, a very good job at selling the property to you and convinced you that it was a, a no-brainer. I'm sure you felt very comfortable buying it at the time. Or what, what was the story there? What, what mistakes did yeah. you make? Yeah, man, first and foremost, you got to know who you're getting in bed with. You got to know your partners. You need to understand the people that you're working with. You need to make sure that they're aligned in terms of their goals beliefs, everything that they're doing needs to make sense and align with what you're doing. The people that I was working with at the time, unbeknownst to me, were not in alignment with what I was trying to do. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of my first mistake. I was, I was naive in who I started working with. That kind of parlayed into a number of other problems down the road, not knowing what decisions to make when it came to certain construction decisions, which way to position the property in terms of the renovation, it just expanded and expanded and snowballed. And so I say it was my tuition because it was such a great and impactful learning experience. Mm -hmm. Financially, the returns were not great, but I learned so much through the process. Of course. And through that process, I, I started to discover what makes sense, what doesn't make sense in terms of renovation. 
but more importantly, higher level business operations, who to work with, how to interact with people, business communication skills, things of that nature that are really foundational for building a strong kind of investment business in real estate. Did you lose money on the property or even with all the mistakes that you made, did you still manage to make money off of it? I think net the property made money, but I personally on the property, I don't, I didn't, I didn't make very much money at all. Considering was, the, the amount of time you put in as well, right? The, the cost of your opportunity. Well, amount, if I include the time, uh, it's definitely a net loss without <laughs> question, but from a strictly financial perspective, no. So it sounds like a few of the mistakes that you did, you did because you were a little bit perhaps rushed. You wanted to get in the game and you partnered with one of the first people that the where the opportunity came and you made some mistakes there. But the plus side is that it got you in. So even with even if it wasn't the best deal, it got you in and you did all those mistakes that you learned from and you lost your fear of doing bad yeah. on a deal because you realize that, okay, even if it, even if the deal doesn't go well or doesn't make money, then that's okay, right? I'm still here. I've learned a ton that, I, right. that I'm going to apply to my yeah. next deal. So that's, that, I think that that's important. So oftentimes we're, we're too afraid to make that first move, but it's usually not as terrible. The worst case scenario is not as terrible as we make it to be in our heads. Yeah, I mean, it could have been way worse. I mean, there's people out there that are in uh, litigation and, you know, all kinds of debt as a result. And not that my circumstances were to downplay them, but it certainly could have been worse. So that experience, uh, you know, it was a little bit of a flame under me to kind of get my act together. You said it was a four unit apartment. Yeah. Yep, four, fourplex. So uh, south side of Chicago, four separate residential units. So still technically considered residential. It wasn't a commercial apartment. Yeah, four units. Okay. And so you got into the real estate business. Your goal was to be a, an investor and be an owner. But And after you started going through that path, then you decided, well, maybe a good way to complement this is to become a, a broker right? Because the more common path is the other way around. People get into real estate by being brokers, they become agents, and then they see their clients making a lot of money, and they see deals themselves that they don't want to miss on. And that's when they become investors. But you sort of took a, an opposite approach. Yeah, well, part of the reasoning was at the time I was working a full-time technology sales job. So my intention wasn't to do a, a complete career shift into that. It was originally, I'm going to invest in real estate here and just kind of scale that up. But through doing that, I realized maybe there's some opportunity here. And so I just started to make the shift over into being full-time real estate, um, both from an investor perspective and also now a broker. Mm -hmm. And so what, what happened next? What was your, your next move after this fourplex? Yeah. So I, I had business opportunity for real estate in Indianapolis. So I decided to start commuting here. I started to basically just develop a book of business for investors, buying fix and flip, buy and hold, rental properties, a lot of single family residential stuff, then moved back to Indianapolis and continued to just grow that business. And at some point down the road, and even before then, I had in the back of my mind looking at commercial property. But again, it was this big thing. Didn't know how to get into it. Wasn't sure. So I started researching. I started kind of surrounding myself and listening to podcasts. I was an avid 
a listener of Grant Cardone when I was living in Chicago from a sales side and I knew he was building a real estate portfolio, et cetera. So started surrounding myself with that type of self-talk and, and self-development. So I was like, well, let's start figuring out how to do commercial. And so I went out and developed some business leads for people that wanted to buy multifamily real estate and found some deals and started selling them. And that clicked because I was like, okay, number one, great financial incentive there to sell commercial real estate. I also really appreciated the type of conversation that you have with an investor versus a retail home buyer, or mm-hmm. even somebody who's buying one property or single family home. It's a different conversation. They're, they're buying a business. It's thoughtful. It's well thought out. It's a non-emotional decision. And so I found myself gravitating towards that type of conversation more. And so I just continued to want to invest in that type of, of transaction. And so once I did that, I was like, okay, this is what I need to focus on more and more. But I also wanted to continue investing myself. So I started continuing to look for property here in Indianapolis and ended up buying a couple properties and then all the while still trying to focus on brokering. What still, kind of properties some, were those? Some, yeah. First one was a duplex and then the second one was a six unit higher end apartment complex in downtown Indianapolis. I'm actually just sold the duplex and then we're looking at refinancing the, the six unit right now and then going to buy something bigger. Okay. And were these properties that you bought on so your those own? Are, those are my personal holdings. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And are these properties that you find the same way through, were you actively looking for properties to invest in or were you look, working as a, as a broker looking for properties for your clients? Yeah. You know, it's sort of a gray area in the overlap. Now it's a little bit more definitive because the type of property I'm looking for on the brokerage side is much, much larger. I'm looking at hundred plus unit complexes, uh, you know, happy to do stuff lower than that, but that's really what I'm trying to spend a lot of my time on. Mm-hmm. So this was stuff that I was looking for knowing personally, Hey, I'm probably interested in this type of asset because it's what I can take on mm-hmm. by myself right now. So that was the intention there. It wasn't necessarily for, from a brokerage standpoint to, to identify those opportunities. And how were you looking for these opportunities? Well, as part of my marketing for brokering, I created a really awesome, I don't know what you call it, business development generation tool, right? So I'm really, really good at finding people mm-hmm. and I'm really, really good at figuring out how to get in contact with them. So okay. this, these, the first one actually wasn't off market. The first one was, was listed on the market. The second one was off market, reached out to them. They actually had a, a broker, a listing agent that was going to put it on the market, but we were able to tie it down before it actually went on. But just leveraging my skill set for my early day sales career of figuring out how to find people and get in contact with them. That's even what I do now today, figuring out how to find people for property that I want to buy. And uh, how do you do that? Them. Because yeah. that's something that uh, I always struggle with, of, right? It's not super complicated. I think people put up smoke and mirrors around it. It's really, really simple. Almost all the information that you can get, you can either purchase from a list or purchase from a database, or a lot of it is public record. The public records require a lot more kind of in the weeds, kind of wading through what makes sense or what's mm-hmm. real, what's not. But a lot, a lot of time spent on public record, and then you can skip trace information, basically researching companies. The higher level the property you go, uh-huh. a little bit easier to find who the decision makers are for certain property types. But on the lower levels, when you're talking about single family homes, even in the residential space, a lot of people resort to just, just mailers or, or knocking on doors because mm-hmm. sometimes it's harder to find their personal cell phone or contact information. Mm-hmm. That's been the my way, experience. The ways that I feel like is the knocking on doors or, or direct mail. 
know, either direct mail or contacting the business that owns the property. And you should, I mean, more often than not, it leads to no replies. Yeah. You got to love the nose, man. <laughs> the, the nose are, are what like, hey, okay, maybe not right now, but you got to keep moving. Um, of, of, course, yeah, of course, of course. That happens. But what do you do differently that allows you yeah. to get in touch with whoever you need to get in touch with? Or do you have any, any specific tools or databases that you would recommend? Man, uh, Jesse Itzler did a really good speech at 10X GrowthCon two years ago talking about his early days of, I don't know, he was in school and he had to start a business. And so he picked selling his mom or grandmom's brownies. And his teacher kind of confronted him and said, like, why is your brownie special? And so I always remember, why are you a special brownie? Kind of a strange metaphor, but the special brownie part of what I'm kind of doing or, or how I'm trying to differentiate myself, people, you want to have people talk about you and what you do remarkably, right? You want to have a remarkable business. You want to have a remarkable reputation. So everything I'm doing, I'm trying to think about how can this be project what I'm doing to other people and everybody they interact with, mm -hmm. make them think about me and my business remarkably. And that's really basic things. It's simple human communication and empathy and communicating with people, having that demeanor when you're talking to somebody that they enjoy the conversation. It's also a level of persistence and effort, right? You need to have the follow-up figured out. You need to understand what people's interests are and you need to understand how to play to them and then follow up. Mm -hmm. And then I don't know if these are three categories, but I'm visualizing them as such. You've got the, the communication, you've got the follow-up, but then you really need to constantly be doing this all of the time. It needs to be you know, obsessed. You have to be always surrounding yourself or always doing something that's moving you towards that goal of working towards it. And I just created this framework. I don't know if this actually works in my brain, but that's the way I think about it, right? And so that's how I've tried to differentiate myself and be this, this special person, right? the special broker for my clients and in my marketplaces, the way that I'm interacting with them, understanding what their needs are and, and following up on that, and then also being consistent. Okay. So it's basically you're saying through people is how you get to whoever you need to get to. It's basically by doing those things that you mentioned, by living and operating in a way that's true to your values and to who you are and what you try your business to be about. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So you're telling us what happened after the, the fourplex. So you were saying you bought some homes, single family for yourself to invest in. And did those do well? Multifamily, they did very well, the duplex and then the six unit. So like I was saying, okay. we sold the, the, the duplex at a profit and then we're refinancing the six unit potentially at a profit there too. And then we're now I'm looking for something a little bit larger, 30, 40 units to take down myself. Okay. And what are you doing day in and day out to find these opportunities? Because I see you, you're waking up at what, 4 a.m. in the morning or what, what time do you wake up? Yeah, I try to wake up between 4 and 4.30 every single day during the week. Usually on the weekends, I'll sleep in a little bit. Occasionally on a Saturday, I'll still wake up at that time if I've got a lot, a lot of stuff going on. But my morning routine actually is less to do. Uh, it's related to, but it's less to do about my business and more to do about creating a mindset personally for myself to be successful in my workday. Okay. So the reason I wake up that early is, is not to start working. It's to do my morning routine. And then when I get into my business working day, you know, nothing is stopping me from just working through the day. So what's your, your Man, routine sorry, like? I forgot. Uh, so wake up, make some quick food, hit the gym right away. 
I tried to get the hardest parts of my day in front at the very, very beginning. So that the rest of my day is easy. And when I'm in the gym, you know, cranking it out, just sweating, Mm -hmm. that makes everything else in the day, even if it's mentally taxing or physically taxing, not as difficult. So I get to the gym, helps me get my mind right, helps me sweat, helps me get a good, you know, exercise and workout in, come home, shower, I meditate, I journal, I do a gratitude practice, I eat, then I read. So that's my second meal. Um, It's my full actual breakfast. And then I read between 45 minutes to an hour, usually a self-development, personal development book. And then sometimes I'll catch up on, you know, latest news articles. That's where I'll gather some ideas for what's going on in the marketplace, try to catch up on the local business environment. And then by nine o'clock, 9 a.m., the normal working day, I basically start working properly in what, what you would say for real estate. Wow. Um, so everything that I talked about, everything that I do there is all, number one, it's mindset. It's setting up my mind for the day and it's creating space for me to have the focus between the morning and then lunchtime to just, just get my workday done. I don't want to be distracted. I don't want to be thinking about having to go to the gym later. I don't want to be thinking about, oh, I didn't do my personal development today. I don't want to be thinking about, you know, I don't have the mental clarity or headspace. So that I, I try to stick to that as, as often mm-hmm. as I can. Now, granted, when I'm traveling or something crazy is going on, I'm, I'm not 100%. Nobody's perfect. But when I'm consistent in that routine, there's a, there's a flow that yeah. I, I notice myself get into that I really I, I appreciate being in that flow. I'm sure social media helps you stay uh, committed to that, right? Because now you have a compromise. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so so I got the idea. I'm it's not an original idea at all. Jocko, if you, anybody follows Jocko Willink, he's an ex Navy SEO, he's got his own podcast, he's got some great books. This guy is a machine. He's every day between four and four thirty, every single day of the week. So I there's advantages to it and I'm not I think maybe I'm not an anomaly, but I don't think everybody needs to wake up early in the morning to get their day uh-huh. started. But I find success and doing so for myself. So it's something that I've committed to doing. One other thing that I, I've started implementing is cold showers. Okay. Uh, that's also terrifying for people. <laughs> and then when I first started doing it, I never thought that I would be able to, to get to a whole six, full 60 seconds of freezing cold water. Mm-hmm. And it's not my whole full shower. It's at the end of the shower. Anyway, the point of all of that stuff, though, is creating the mind space yeah. and the head space and the right mindset. So that when I'm going into my day and I'm getting hung up on, I'm getting rejected, people are telling me no, people are telling me, don't call me ever again. I'm not selling my property or, you know, this isn't a good fit. It reduces the, that impact because I've had the hardest parts of my days in the beginning. Yeah, I did try the the cold shower for a while, uh, yeah. about a year ago. And I, it did help. Cool. I, I really did. Then like it, I don't remember what was about it that I found really helpful. I think it was just waking up and by the time you're, Having breakfast, 20 minutes after waking up, you've already done one of the hardest things you're, ha- you're going to have to do all day. So, yeah, I'm not, I'm not doing it anymore, but I, I, may, I may try it tomorrow. Yeah, hey, man, I, I mean, it works for some people. I'm sure there's studies for it and against it, but, you know, it's something I'm trying out and something that I've, I've liked doing like recently. Yeah. So then after all this routine, you get to your office and what does your, your work day look like? How are you finding the the deals that you're finding for yourself and for your your clients? Yeah. So I try to commit a portion or percentage of of my time in terms of resources every day to some specific categories. That's my follow-ups to existing clients or clients that I'm nurturing. 
generating new business opportunities. So identifying new potential investments, whether that's land, property, whatever it is, and then outreach. So once I've identified those new opportunities or the follow-ups, spending that time reaching out to those those new potential leads and then sprinkle it in there wherever it kind of makes sense or based off of the, the priority level existing transaction. So if I've got something pressing, an inspection response, I got to get out to contractors or whatever it is, mm-hmm. phone calls I got to make to coordinate somebody, I sprinkle that stuff in there wherever I can get it done. But I try to structure it so that there's committed level of time to those those categories of nurturing my existing clients, generating new opportunities, and then reaching out, taking action on those opportunities so that every day there's a little bit of essentially like a farming process of planting new seeds, harvesting the existing ones and watering your crops, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So what's your most effective out of the things that you do, or everything that you've mentioned, your things that's working the best for you right now for finding opportunities or your latest opportunities that you've been able to find? How did that come about? Yeah, I don't think it's anything special, man. It's all about your network and who you know and who knows you and, and talking to people. I've found a great level of success in being a person where other people are talking about me enough that I'm getting business referred to me because so many other people are just talking about their experience with me. Right. Mm-hmm. So being out in your community and, and I don't just mean as in a volunteer sense, I mean, going to the real estate events, going to the meetups, even things that are tertiary to what you're trying to do, things related to the city or wherever the market is that you're trying to invest in being involved in that aspect and just having those conversations with members of the community, the city county council events hosted by, by the mayor, those types of things start to get your name out there more and more. Mm -hmm. Um, So I try to spend my time just putting my name out there where I can. And that's led to new business. And then on, on the development side, in terms of finding property to buy, it's the same thing. You need to be in front of people. You need to be talking to people constantly. It needs to be a, a consistent thing of speaking to the person that is the decision maker constantly. So I've just found success mm-hmm. by communicating with people. So just putting um, yourself out there as, as much unique. as possible. Yeah, man. 100% bad. Putting yourself out there as much as possible. I don't know if it's Grant or, or who says it, but it's. I think it is Grant. Talks about it's not the best. It's the best known that wins, mm-hmm. right? So if you're, you're amazing at what you do, but nobody knows about you, you've got no business. But if you're the best known, but you're not number one, right? Mm-hmm. But you're the best known, you're going to win every time. Or most of the time, I should say. I should, yeah. I should say 100%. That's a, that's a great quote. Yeah. It's not my quote. Grant said that. So don't quote Corey Gardner <laughs> for it. I don't want the credit. <laughs> no, no, of course, of course. So right now you're focusing on multifamily, correct? Correct. Yeah. And why is that? Is is that because that's what your clients are looking for, or why is it that you're focused on on that asset class in particular? Yeah. So it's a combination. The focus on multifamily is a combination of a couple of things. I'm personally interested in it, but also I have an increasing number of clients that are saying to me, "This is the asset class that I want to be invested in. This is the asset class that I'm looking for." I've intentionally surrounded myself with those types of people. So there's kind of this ebb and flow of the demand, but also the mm-hmm. interest for me and my personal interest in it. Mm-hmm. But that's not like the only thing necessarily that I'm doing because I have a, a select few number of clients that are interested in other asset classes, other types of commercial property, specifically industrial, um, retail, or you know self-storage. But I think 
80, 85% of my time is, is spent focusing on multifamily. It's just the space that I'm passionate about. I think it makes sense. Everybody needs a place to live. And I don't know the metrics on this, but I think if you look at the returns across asset classes, multifamily performs very, very well year over year through all of mm-hmm. the, all of the cycles, right? And so it's a space that there's a lot of attention in, but there's still a lot of opportunity. And so that's kind of why I like it. Mm-hmm. And what are the market conditions currently in Indiana? To give us a just a general idea. Yeah, so high level. I won't get into the nitty gritty because it's, it's constantly changing, but. So what's great about Indianapolis and Indiana too, because some of this stuff is is not an Indianapolis specific thing. Number one, we're a landlord friendly state, which is fantastic. There's a lot of states right now that aren't landlord friendly, Illinois, New York. There's also no pending legislation for rent control here. California, New York got hit with that last year. Don't have that in Indianapolis. Um, our market fundamentals are really strong. We've got good growing population. Our city population and I think this is 2018 data because I don't have 2019 yet, was 867,000. And our MSA pop was just under 2 million. Um, both of those metrics are increasing. We've got a really strong workforce. Our, our median income is uh, pretty high and our cost of living is very low. One of the big drivers mm-hmm. for the increase in employment is the tech scene here. And people kind of overlook some of the Midwestern cities, but Indianapolis surprisingly has a lot of uh, tech companies that have increased their their workforce footprint here and continue to do so back in 1997 ibm acquired a company for i think it was just over 200 million that was kind of the first uh, blip on the map for indianapolis and then in 2000 there was a, a 400 or 500 500 million dollar acquisition and then just in 2013 exact target was acquired by salesforce um, and that was the first, I think it was just just over $2 billion acquisition. And so that that really put Indianapolis on the map, map from a tech perspective. But these companies, they're coming here because we have qualified talent and quality of life, right? And so those metrics, you've got jobs, you've got increasing employment, you've got low cost of living. And then the tax, the tax environment here is attractive both to businesses and on a personal side. So if you, you put all that stuff mm-hmm. together, people want to live here. Yeah. Um, businesses want to be here. Businesses want to move here. So all of those market fundamentals create a really nice recipe for people that, that want to live in Indianapolis and then also the investors that want to buy property. It's a lot of the, what you just mentioned reminds me a lot of the Texas market in terms of no rent control, in terms of population growth, low cost of living, which is is a reason why that's driving the population growth. So, But Indianapolis yes. is flying a lot more under the radar than the Texas markets are, right? Yes, and th- very much so. I mean, uh, I don't know how much of a factor the weather plays into it, but we're not warm all year round. You've got Texas markets that are warm a lot of the year round, or warmer, I should say. It's also, you, got, you guys got a lot more space out there. Yeah, a lot more space. And the population growth is probably even higher here than it is there, right? Very much so. I think uh, I, I was just reading real estate, uh, the emerging trends, uh, for 2020 report put up put out by PwC and ULI. I recommend anybody mm-hmm. read that every year. It's called Real Estate Emerging Trends. Indianapolis is 16 for overall prospects for investing. The number one city that was Austin, Texas. Mm-hmm. And that, so that was this year on ULI's Emerging Trends report. Correct. Yeah. And I think last year Austin was number two or three, and then the year prior it was also number one. So yeah, Austin's growth really? is amazing. Okay. Yeah, not surprised. But also, you have 
uh, Dallas and Houston that also get a lot of attention. And San Antonio that doesn't get as much attention, but that is always in constant high growth in comparison to the rest of the country. Yeah. So are you completely focused on an Indiana in terms of what markets you were looking at property? Yes. Uh, right, right now I've got, I've got interest in um, other markets, um, specifically tertiary markets here in Indiana, but also some other states. But I'm a firm believer of being an expert in where you live. I lived in Indianapolis for, for several years now. I'm from Indiana originally. And I, I believe that, and this is also a differentiating factor of, of because I live downtown, because I know where these deals are, because I drive by them, because I'm, I run past them. I know the neighborhoods. I know what's going on. I'm seeing the development. I bring a level of expertise to my clients. These guys that are calling from California or New York or down south that want to bring their capital into this into the city. I'm not at a point where I'm, I'm interested or, or wanting to start splitting my time that's not 100% focused on Indianapolis to another market. Mm-hmm. Not that it would be complicated or difficult to start learning, but because I'm trying to be so niche specific into being an expert in Indianapolis. You, you um, have a competitive so for right now, there. exactly. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just trying to double down on that. You know, it's a strength. Mm-hmm. So I want to double down. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Why go compete in a different market where you, you don't have boots on the ground and compare with other brokers mm-hmm. or and other investors that know the market have been there for 20 plus years when you're becoming yep. that guy in Indianapolis. Exactly. Do you also work with investors from outside of state that want to invest with you in Indianapolis? Internationally? Um, I don't... No, uh, not internationally, I, but out of, out of state. Oh, gotcha. Yes. Um, yeah, I would say more, more than half of the, the, the groups that I work with are not based in Indiana. Wow, um, I've got a couple select uh, local groups that are really strong, but a lot of a lot of the capital that these guys are coming to the table with is is not local. And what's the process of someone from out of state investing in Indiana? Do they first make contact with you and then fly in and look at properties, or what's kind of that process like? Yeah, um, you know, it depends on what they're comfortable with. A lot of times, if there's not a real sweet active deal on the table. They're not going to just fly out here on the whim of it. I do like to have my investors experience the city and see some of the different neighborhoods. So if we're mm-hmm. building a more of a longer term relationship, that's something I always recommend. Not everybody wants to do it or, or wants to commit time or resources to doing that. But yeah, there's the initial reach out. There's the the alignment of interest to understanding if we're a good fit to work together. And then kind of identifying what criteria or what's the type of asset that they're looking for. And then we kind of go to work and look at you know what's currently on the table what I might be able to find. And then if we, we do identify something, obviously they'll come out and take a look at it if we can get it under contract. Okay. In your experience, in your day in, day out experience, what you're seeing every day, where do you see the biggest opportunity in the market or something that you want to, yeah. that you feel strongly about? So this is super cliche, but the metrics continue to point towards a, a severe shortage in workforce and affordable housing. Mm-hmm. It's a really challenging environment for that type of asset, basically, because construction costs, labor costs, material costs. But there's such a, a high demand there. If people can be super creative and figure out how to bring more of that type of product online, mm-hmm. there's opportunity there. I even not so affordable in workforce. I think the lower, or I should say upper end, like middle market apartments, there's good uh, demand there as well. Um, so th- those two areas are where I'm investing more of my personal 
additional resources and time into understanding and and learning where there might be gaps to fill in there. But that's across the board. I know nationally there's a shortage in housing, but specifically in Indianapolis and really some of the other other larger markets, there's a shortage in workforce and affordable housing. There's, uh, but that's super cliche because everybody talks about here. What there's a shortage in this. There's a shortage in this. There's a shortage in this. Um, and I know there's some really good, even local operators here in Indianapolis that are, are doing a good job of providing and bringing that product online. Mm-hmm. But there's not enough of it. Yeah. Um, it's, it's point and simple. It's, it's cliche because you, you hear it all over, but it's also very true in terms of whoever can find a, a way to deliver a new product at an affordable price is going to do well. It's going to do very well because there's definitely a, a yeah. big demand for that niche. And the, and the reason for it is because rents and property prices have increased in the past 20 or so years at a lot higher rate than wages and the average person's income in the U.S. So that's what creates that gap between what people can pay for and what's out there in the market. So yeah, there's definitely an opportunity there. Well, you stack on top of that, we stopped bringing new inventory online in the last crash, right? So we're underbuilt across the board in terms of inventory significantly. Um, so you're talking a general about general lack in the marketplace. You're talking about in general multifamily inventory, there's more demand than there is supply. I'm talking about in the last crash, we stopped building real estate for people to live in, right? And so as a result of that, as new families have been formed and, and there have been an increase in demand for housing, right? Mm-hmm. We haven't built enough to catch up to that. We're still we're still at a deficit there. Mm-hmm. Um, that just adds another layer to this whole thing of generally in the marketplace, there's a lack of housing, affordable housing, I should say for people. Attainable is probably a better word. Yeah. So Corey, tell us a little bit about what your plans are for the for the future. I mean, we see you working hard on on Instagram and yeah. wherever on social media. So what are you working towards? What what do you see your your, your next steps in your career? Well, I want to I want to take down you know a, a nice forty fifty unit myself this year. Um, I'm looking to trade just in general, not including my personal holdings. I want to trade. I'd like to trade two hundred units this year, and then kind of future moving forward. I'm increasing the time I'm spending looking into what I was just referring to, affordable and workforce housing redevelopment and even new construction and development. So looking to get into some of that space potentially here in the, in the near future. Down the road. I think I want what everybody else wants. I want a financial freedom where I can spend time with my family. And truthfully, I, I have a passion for traveling. I actually had my first international travel experience this past year, and I kind of got the travel bug. So I, I want to start to think about creating a lifestyle for myself, my future family, being able to travel, but also, you know, I've got the sales mentality in my blood. So there's always going to be the hustle aspect, right? So I'm always going to be wanting to wanting to be doing deals. So it's not a situation where um, I make all my money and just kind of be done in 10 or 15 years. I see myself kind of operating in the real estate space, being creative, putting deals together, mm-hmm. um, maybe just on a larger scale, you know, until I'm done, man. Yeah, because you enjoy it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I like the hustle. Awesome. So are you ready for the fire round where we get to ask you a few quick questions to get to know you a little bit sure. better? Yeah. Rock and roll. Awesome. First question. What's your favorite place to travel to? So this probably will change, but right now it's Aruba. I like Aruba a lot. I've been there once. We're going back as a family this year. It's out of the hurricane belt. It's a great place to travel to. So uh, Aruba. 
Perfect. Next question. What's your favorite movie? I don't watch a ton of movies. So this is my qualifier for like anybody I'm going to be friends with. They have to like Pulp Fiction or Quentin Tarantino films. Mm -hmm. So Pulp Fiction is like number one. But if you like a Quentin Tarantino movie, cool. I can vibe with you. Have you seen the most recent one, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Yes, absolutely love it. Super long, but goodness, I thought it was worth it. I, I enjoyed Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, films. the the one I thought was way too long was uh, Hateful Eight. Eight. Hateful Eight. That one I thought was way too long. Yeah, but again, a great movie. So, yeah. You know, I, I can't argue. No, I'm also a big fan there. Yeah, cool. Favorite book? This is a book that I read. I read twice now. It's called Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. And it's not really a business book. It's actually more of a mindset, motivation, mentality book. But I love it because he talks about building a callous mindset so that you're unaffected by the ups and downs of, of daily life, but and you're prepared to kind of handle anything. It's called Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. Awesome. I hadn't heard of that one, so thanks for the recommendation. Yeah. What's the, the best advice that you have received or the best lesson that you've learned? I'm sure this has been said to me, and I don't know who originally said this, but this is something that I've been thinking about more very recently is, and again, this is super cliche, but it's being humble in everything that you do. Mm -hmm. I'll break that down. I think when people start to achieve a certain level of success or even a little bit of success, they start to get a mindset that they have already learned everything that there is to learn, or they, they already know everything that there is to know about a, a process or something that they're doing. And it's great to be able to check yourself and be able to take a step back and zoom out a little bit and, and think, maybe I, I haven't done everything or I haven't learned everything that there is about this. Maybe, you know, I'm not a hundred percent, maybe I'm not perfect. And to have the mentality where you are okay with saying that about what you're doing leaves you an enormous amount of room to grow, right? You can now bridge that gap because you've taken the step back to zoom out. So, you know, I just call that being humble in what you're doing and realizing that you're not a hundred percent. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I love that. One last thing that I forgot to ask you about earlier. It's, yeah. I, want, I want to talk about briefly about what you're doing on social media, because I see you there, sure. I see you creating content. You don't have tens of thousands of followers yet, but no. But I, I mean, I, I like what you're doing. I'm surprised that, that it hasn't caught on more because I enjoy what, what you're putting out there and, and I, I follow it and I, I watch your stuff. And so what's your approach Thank there? You. What has been working and, and what hasn't? Yeah, I appreciate that. What hasn't been working is the, the volume, the quantity. Mm -hmm. I do a terrible job at doing a lot. It might look like I'm doing a lot, but where I need to be for, for what the goals I'm trying to achieve and the, the impact and the network I'm trying to build, I don't do enough. Where it does work is I mean, I'm pretty consistent with it. And I put out stuff that's true to me and what I'm passionate about. And this is, again, not original thought. This is all a diet version of what Gary Vaynerchuk talks about. Mm -hmm. He talks about documenting instead of creating. He talks about putting out instead of just thinking about it. He thinks He talks about doing things and documenting things that you're passionate about that are true to your values and who you are. And I see it, but he also talks about how people, they feel like they're, they're pigeonholed into one type of or piece of content because that's what gets them the most likes. And so I just try to put out stuff that I think is cool for me and it's a learning process and it takes time, but realizing that it's about what it's doing for myself and my business and my brand 
and that when I'm spending this time to put together this post is actually advancing my brand or advancing what I'm trying to do or advancing my reach in the marketplace mm-hmm. and is not taking away from it. Whenever I think about it that way, it becomes easier to spend quite a bit of time doing my own creative and copy. Yeah. And and the approach that you just mentioned, that's a very long-term approach, right? You're documenting, you expect your social media to grow as you grow professionally. So you're not looking to monetize your social media account, uh, your Instagram account tomorrow and start selling stuff there. You're taking more of a, a long-term approach, documenting what you're going through. And I think it'll it'll pay off in the long run if you stick to it as as you keep growing in real estate and, and as a broker and as an investor. Community, man. It's all community. Trying to build yeah. community. Yeah, of course. All right. Well, it's it has been a pleasure, Corey. Thank you very much for being here, for making the time. It's been an, an excellent conversation. I got a lot out of, out of from it, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners will as well. Uh, how can anybody reach you if, if they have any any other questions or they want to learn more about you? Sure. Yeah. Um, I am Corey the Broker on all social media platforms. Really simple. Corey the Broker and Corey at CoreyTheBroker.com if I need to be reached via email. Awesome. All right. Jorge, thanks. I appreciate your time. Thanks for putting this together. I enjoyed our conversation here as well and look forward to what you're doing with this podcast. Thank you, Corey. I, I'll let you go because I know you have a, a lot of deals to run to and a lot of hustling to, to take care of. But yeah, yeah. thank you. And, and we'll, we'll stay in touch. Let me know whenever you're down here in Houston. I'll let you know when I'm up there. And Absolutely. Yeah, have a great rest of the week. Thanks, Jorge. You as well. Talk to you soon. Thank you.